Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel and entertainment journalist. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Today, I'm joined by a man who built a social media empire from traveling the world, Jeremy Jauncey. Jeremy is the man behind the world's largest online travel community, Beautiful Destinations, which has a combined following of over 25 million people. The jaw-droppingly gorgeous photos on Beautiful Destinations have provided me with endless travel inspiration over the years and undoubtedly influenced some of my travel choices. And what was once a passion project has become a global business with Beautiful Destinations offices based out of the US, UK and Asia. While it might look like Jeremy spends most of his time being photographed in some of the most epic locations around the world, meditating on North Island in the Seychelles, hugging giant pandas in China, posing on a horse rearing in front of a pyramid in Egypt, as you do, most of the time he is actually consulting with major travel brands and tourist boards, helping them to tell inspiring stories through social first content. And it's an interesting topic because last year I actually wrote an article about the power of social media and travel. And it was based on a study that found that 34% of millennials had booked a holiday because of content they'd seen on social media. So this is a medium of marketing and journalism that is only going to grow exponentially, I think. And this conversation gives a deep insight into the business of travel and travel marketing, the power of imagery and the power of human connection. Jeremy spoke to me from his warehouse apartment in the heart of Manhattan, and at times he's accompanied by the soundtrack of New York City in the background. From New Zealand and Japan to the Philippines and Norwegian Fjordland, here are the travel diaries of Jeremy Jauncey. Jeremy Jauncey, welcome to the Travel Diaries. Thank you so much for joining me today, all the way from New York City. How are you? I'm very well. It's my pleasure, Holly. Thank you for having me. And we're speaking just as COVID lockdown is kind of gradually easing. Mm. As someone who travels consistently, has it been quite a shock to the system to be grounded for this length of time? It has. Um, and I think really it's it's sort of put into context uh, many things for me. One, just unfortunately how, how challenged the travel industry is. Uh, you know, we're all in this industry. We love it very, very much. It is the economic heartbeat of so many different countries and it provides employment to so many people that uh, there's obviously a, a personal um, you know sadness about not being able to travel but really more of a point of context of, of realizing quite how impactful it has been for the for the global economy and certainly with my with my business with beautiful destinations uh, and our clients it has had a, a meaningful impact it's so tough how are you feeling about the recovery yes yeah, so I, I think I think we should look at two different pillars Cautious and hopeful optimism is is the mm. first part of, of how I'm feeling. I think the mm. second part is obviously from the from the business and from the trade side is just just reiterating that there is a difference between uh, the supply side and the demand side. And certainly on the supply side, the the people in the tourism trade, most people have done a fantastic job to prepare themselves to allow travellers. So hotels have the right cleaning protocols. Airlines are doing the same things. Tourism boards are implementing checks at their at their borders which is all fantastic on the supply side but i think the reality is on the demand side and the feeling that consumers have right now 
uh, travel is is still challenged, and uh, and we still have a, we still have a ways to go. Mm-hmm. And beautiful destinations, of course, is all about inspiring people to mm. travel. Mm. Um, and many people, even despite the challenges that you mentioned, there a lot of people's wanderlust has really been amplified during this time. I think mm. simply because they are unable to travel and they're busy dreaming up their future travel plans. Have you found that? Very much so. And I think there's a lot of data supporting that. There was a fascinating article a few weeks back in the New York Times that showed um, meaningful spikes in usage of social media and the streaming platforms. And of course, it makes sense because people are at home and and they can't travel, certainly on on our accounts. And, you know, we're we're very fortunate that our our audience is a a global audience of 25 million people across all the platforms that we that we're on. Uh, they, They are engaging more in the content for I think to your exact point, they can't travel there's always been a strong driver to to look at the world and discover the world. And because our philosophy is so rooted in the idea that, that travel is a force for good and that through the lens of travel, you can inspire people to understand culture and get deeper with people and really get into a place where you embrace differences amongst you know races and cultures and nations all over the world. I don't think that that went away in Corona. No. Uh, and, yeah. I, and I think that that certainly continues to uh, to be a reason why people will come and, and look at some of the inspirational content that, that we create. And similarly with this chat today, I'm sure your travel diaries will provide that same sense of inspiration yeah, so. for when we're all like, able to travel freely again. So let's get, <laughs> let's get started there with chapter one. Okay. And that is your earliest childhood travel memory. Yes. So I grew up in Scotland um, on a farm in the middle of nowhere, uh, we had a, a small, tight-knit family. I think if anybody follows me on social media, they know that I'm very, very close to my brother. And we spent so much time together, uh, really with, without the, the kind of the trappings or the stimulations that you'd get in a, in a major city. We lived on a farm that was really the middle of, of nowhere. And so my earliest childhood memories would be of being back home in Scotland and, and domestic travel around, around Scotland, really. We would go uh, with, uh, with, with our family and we would drive around Scotland. And I fell in love really with the idea of being outdoors and, and being active. And I find a lot of calmness and solitude when I go back to Scotland. And obviously, because it's rooted in my in my childhood, the, the earliest things I remember are going out with my brother and running about in nature and being very much outdoors. And, you know, when I think back to that stuff, although it's not directly related to travel, the first job that I ever did was actually... Uh, wild oat roguing which is walking through potato fields and pulling wild oats out of the potato fields so that the, oh, wow. the potatoes grow so it i mean number one it was a brutal job i mean there's no doubt about it it was a very very uh, a very tough job but uh, I, I think I, I have those feelings when i think about my earliest travel memories being around scotland and being out in nature and, and being on a farm I think a lot of British travellers are focusing on Scotland as a place that could be the first place that they Mm -hmm. have a summer holiday this year because Mm -hmm. it's such beauty on our doorstep. And yet um, I've read that I think potentially more people in the UK have been to New Zealand than they have been to the Scottish Highlands. For oh, example. that's mad! Well, I mean, I'm I'm certainly one of those. I, I moved to New Zealand when I was uh, when I was eighteen. Oh, really? Uh, so when I was, yeah, when I was younger, uh, my, my 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 background and my and my plan was really to be in in elite sport. So I'd I'd played rugby for Scotland whilst I was at school, and the plan wow. that I was going through or planning, planning to go through was to, to try and become a professional rugby player. So I actually moved to New Zealand for two years, did a season playing in Christchurch, 
did a season playing in um, in Wellington. And I know we're going to come to some other questions about wider travel memories, but that was the first time that I uh, I really got out and saw the world, and it was it was through rugby, and then actually moving from Scotland to to New Zealand, which actually have have many many parallels when you when you see both the countries, the the landscape, mm, mm, and the and the people, just just friendly, you know, down to earth kind of honest honest people and I really felt like when I had left Scotland I went to Christchurch first and Christchurch was very similar to where I grew up um, in, in Perth which is a few hours out of out of Edinburgh and the farming community uh, you know lots of lots of rugby lots of sports so yeah it was almost a home away from home when I, when I first got there. Mm. So tell me a bit about life in New Zealand and your favourite places to explore when you were there. I really found that that country had everything you could possibly want from a an outdoors and activity perspective and the reputation that it has as being you know very very good food because you know there's not so much pollution they really take care of their animals they really take care of the way that they create crops you know they don't have mass mass crops and mono mono agriculture like we do in in the US and to to a degree in the UK and so i remember feeling as i travel around the country the food was so fresh the people were so warm and welcoming uh, nature itself was so diverse and within a given day you could be uh, on on a brilliant beach and, and and looking at catching some waves and then hiking up through the through through you know rainforests essentially and and then and then into uh, into ice glaciers and just it really is such a diverse country it's very very high on any bucket list that I recommend to people mm, yeah it's high on mine and your dad is Scottish and your mum is Colombian is that mm, right that's right yeah so we've talked a little bit about your life in Scotland mm-hmm. but how about Colombia is that a destination that you've traveled around to be honest it isn't and uh it's one of the things that's on my list of of, of countries I really have to do properly because so much has changed in Colombia it's such a mm. vibrant it's a destination place. that's become a real travel trend really oh, it's amazing the beautiful destination era hasn't it it really is it's it's, su- it's such a brilliant country that the people there are so warm and, and welcoming and I feel very lucky that you know, having a Colombian mum and then a Scottish father, I got to see, you know, two very two very different cultures and, and certainly on the on the on the Latin and South American side, you know, feeling the warmth and the passion and the energy and all of that kind of you know, fiery spirit that, that Latins are so well known for yeah. uh, is absolutely what <laughs> is absolutely what uh, is what I'm hearing about Colombia, and it's incredibly beautiful. Lots of nature, you know, also brilliant experiences uh, from a from a city perspective in terms of Bogota and Medellin and places like that, which are becoming more and more on on the travel path, and especially as people start to look at the concept of sustainable travel, and certainly it's something that I'm very, very passionate about the work that I do with the, the World Wildlife Foundation and what we try to push through beautiful destinations is this idea that, yes, travel is a force for good when it's done in a sustainable and, and scalable way that respects local people, respects their culture, respects the environment, and then respects the actual process of traveling. So that is something that I think uh, Colombia and, and actually many, many countries in South America are now looking to, to leverage as a, as a core part of their, of their tourism asset. Yes, you're a big advocate of sustainable tourism and mm. one of the fundamental pillars of becoming a sustainable traveller is to visit destinations that truly embrace sustainable ecological tourism. So aside from Colombia, maybe more globally focused, what are some other examples of places that people can pick knowing that they can be confident that they are picking a place that has really got the sustainability at its heart? Uh, certainly some of the, the leaders from a destination standpoint. 
places like Panama, which are incredibly strong on nature. And you, you land in Panama City and in such a short time, you can be out into, uh, you know, so, some of the some of the wildest, most beautiful nature any, anywhere in the region. Places like Rwanda, um, who have also mm. really positioned themselves as a sustainable tourism destination. I mean, I think it's now They've done an amazing job, haven't they? They really have, and and it comes from it comes from the very very top uh, from a, from a policy standpoint because I, I think it's fifteen years now since they uh, they banned plastic bags in the country, and then I I know that it so was, ahead of their time, right? I mean, I know it was planned for this year, which may or may not have been impacted by coronavirus, but I know that it was planned for this year to uh, stop all single-use plastics in the, in the country. And so when you have that happening at a policy level, it then translates down to, to what the tourism experience is. And then that, I think, is, is very positive. And the wildlife tourism also such a key factor there. Absolutely. And, and I think you can look at those models where, uh, again, they, they work hand-in-hand hand with organisations like WWF and many others where the local people are taught the value of the ecosystem that they live within. So the importance of animals, the importance of the natural environment, they're then taught to love and respect those and actually see those assets as a way to generate incomes. And so as they go through their economic development, they are thinking about how can we protect these natural assets? Because we as a Mm. society can make more money from sustainable tourism than we would from, say, poaching or um, burning down the rainforests or the jungles that we have or harvesting these systems for uh, rubber or other natural resources, which had been the traditional way that some of these communities were, were making money. And then from our side, I think from the, from the traveling side, is then looking at countries and realizing that the reason why economists call travel the ATM of the world is because the moment that you land in a new country, you are putting money straight into uh, into the ecosystem. And so if you think about manufacturing or you know building a factory, for example, when you set up something like that in a new country, it's many months, if not many years, before the economic benefit is felt by the people in that region. Whereas mm. the, moment, the moment you get off a plane and you take a taxi to wherever you're going or you, you buy a meal or you, you buy a coffee or, or you tip a, a hospitality or service professional, that is instantly giving value to the economy. And that's only come because of travel and tourism. Mm-hmm. Which kind of feels particularly pertinent now, given the number of people that work in tourism and hospitality worldwide and the number Mm -hmm. of people therefore who have obviously been directly impacted right now it's quite kind of painful to realize it really is is. um i mean i'm i'm very fortunate to be a member of the world travel and tourism council which is a a collection of 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 private and public sector ceos within within travel who are looking at the state of the industry and trying to trying to find ways to help kickstart the industry and and i think if we look at the data in the run-up to corona the industry had seen uh, i think i think it was eight to ten years of consecutive growth last year 1.2 billion people took an international trip uh, one in mm. ten jobs was in the travel and tourism industry and actually one in five jobs newly created jobs was in travel so the industry was employing more people it was growing as you were seeing an increase in, um, in in the middle class around the world who were then becoming more exposed to, to, to travel options. We were seeing an economy around travel that was growing, adding value to people's lives and also putting money into economies. And so really the impact, I think, although people, it's most keenly felt by people on a personal level because I can't do that summer holiday with my family, really the impact is on such a such a macro level that uh, it's it's far more far more challenging to the world, in my opinion, uh, on, on that mm. side of things. 
Mm. And I'm sure we'll come on to more about that later in the podcast. But let's pause there now and move on to chapter two, which is the first place that you fell in love with. Mm, The first place I fell in love with. We've touched on New Zealand then, and I know it's a little bit repetitive to say that place, but I'd say, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little bit more context as to, as to why. It was mm-hmm. the journey that I went through leaving the UK uh, after, I'd, after I'd finished school. Uh, it actually took me through, through Asia as I was going to New Zealand. So the way that I booked my flight, I flew from London to Singapore, and I had three days in Singapore. And even though Singapore is in in many ways very Western and actually in many ways very British, it was such a different and eye-opening experience for me to to see a completely different culture. And that was the moment when I realized that I was absolutely in love with the industry and the concept of traveling and and, and meeting people. So Singapore and New Zealand for me have these very special places in my my mind as Mm -hmm. the first places that really open my eyes to to the power of travel and they are two completely different tourism experiences singapore is such a fantastic business um, place to be there's there's so much going on from a from an economic and, and finance perspective that the experience that you have in there is very much a, a city experience it's, it's very much a launch pad then into other parts of asia whereas new zealand is uh you know just by its geographical positioning, very isolated and its own unique culture in itself. So I'd say that those mm-hmm. were the two places that I that I fell in love with, like really fell in love with first. When I was younger, mm-hmm. um, you know, I did small European holidays with with my family, which was a, which was of course amazing. I think many of the the British audience that will be listening to this will will, will remember trips to to Portugal or to France or to to Germany or Spain. And really, since I've moved to the US, one of the biggest insights for me from a traveling perspective was just just how lucky. We have been uh, in the UK to be able to be in so many different countries within wow. short haul flights because many many Americans they va- they vacation they holiday domestically. Sixty percent of of Americans don't don't have a passport. And actually, given how amazing the US is as a tourism destination, each state is in many ways its own unique country and its own unique experience. That for many of them, there's there isn't really that much of an incentive to to go out and travel but when you are in in the UK or or in Europe you can experience very different cultures within a you know within a few hours of each other on a flight so um, I know there's a little bit, little bit around the way, but does, it, does that help answer the question? Yeah, yeah. And you talk about how that trip through Singapore and New Zealand really ignited your passion for travel. Mm. Um, that kind of leads me on really nicely to the formation of beautiful destinations. Mm-hmm. I suppose on a on a macro level, first of all. For anyone who isn't part of your 25 million strong community online, mm-hmm. um, can you tell them a little bit about what Beautiful Destinations is and how it came about? Yes, of course. So there are two very distinct parts to what what is now one of the largest tourism communities in the world online. And one part is the, the business, uh, which, which I'll talk through. But the, the part that most people know us for is this this community, this audience that you mentioned. And it started on Instagram uh, and it started with a very, very simple belief that people around the world would connect and communicate with each other through the lens of beautiful imagery. So when Beautiful Destinations started in the very, very beginning, Instagram only allowed you to post square photos. 
there were a handful of filters. You know, there was mm-hmm. none of the uh, the rich experience that you see in the app now in terms of commerce and videos and direct messaging. And the early days, it was really just connecting with people around the world who were creatives showing what their perspective of life was. So it was reaching out to people and saying, hey, you're a, you're a teacher in, in Melbourne that spends their weekends going and taking photos of, of what you see and their, their beautiful, inspirational pieces of content. Could we share that on Beautiful Destinations? Tell the world about your part of the world and then do that with, with multiple people and build a community. And so in the very early days, really Beautiful Destinations was the only player in travel because most of the major travel brands, both on the media and publishing side and the actual brand side, so the online travel agents or the airlines or the hotels, were just not using Instagram. In fact, they weren't they weren't using social media. So this was back in very early 2012. And so being being the first guys there and, and having the advantage of uh, a very clear mission statement, which was just to show the beauty of the world, we were able to build this community which got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the first you know, thousand followers became millions and so on. And in that process, the, the business emerged. And so the business mm-hmm. side of what Beautiful Destinations does is as a strategy and creative agency for the travel and tourism industry which means we sit down with ministers of tourism, tourism, uh, the CEOs of tourism boards and other leading travel brands, and we help them to translate whatever their story is onto digital and social channels and then get it in front of travellers. Mm, that's really interesting. I'm sure that you're asked this all the time, but I'm going to ask it and I'm hoping for a really specific answer to help all of our Instagram lovers out there Mm -hmm. what in your opinion makes a beautiful destination photo the starting point is to have clarity on exactly what you want your your brand to to look and feel like so again if you if you look at the details of the beautiful destinations content uh, we never post photographs you know selfies we really very very rarely have people in our content and when we do have people it is very much to provide the context of how beautiful or the scale of the place that they're in. It's very much, uh, you know, for example, standing at the bottom of a waterfall to show that it is hundreds of feet high or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, jumping into a sea to show the context of how electric blue the water is. And those are silly examples, but but hopefully you Mm -hmm. you understand the the context. Um, So that that would be the first thing. I think then the, the second thing is really to try and find a unique perspective to the things that you see in front of you every day. And what we found very, very early on was that the major tourist attractions way, way before social media have been captured, you know, millions and millions and millions of times. And so one of the areas that we push, and certainly we found that more, uh, as, as more and more young travelers are coming out into the market, they are looking for, they're looking for experiences and content that is different to what they may have seen in the pages of more traditional magazine books or, or even on TV. And so if we're going to go to the Eiffel Tower, then we are going to find a unique vantage point, which is not the place that all tourists will go to to capture a piece of content. And that is a rule across all the ways we look at different content creation is what is a unique perspective or a unique angle for capturing and telling the story of the place that we're in, even if it has been done millions and millions of times in the past. So I would really encourage people to to go a little bit deeper when they look at trying to track to, to capture travel content uh, and, and think about that. And I mean, there's also very obvious stuff around light. Um, you know, any any good photographer will tell you that the golden hour uh, around sunrise, so the hour 
you know, just before and just after sunrise, and then and then the same tire period around sunset is when you'll get uh, when you'll get the best light. And and I think I think with those three things, you should be uh, you know you, sh- you should be in good shape. Do you know what the most popular photo on the Beautiful Destinations feed is mm, currently? Mm, mm, absolutely. So so we see. Uh, certain parts of the world have, have have been incredibly popular. So, for example, photographs of the cherry blossoms in Japan uh, are are up there as some of the most popular content we've ever shared. Mm-hmm. Photographs of the, the right the, the Greek islands. I mean, we've all seen those beautiful photographs of, of Santorini and, and Mykonos. And increasingly, what we're looking to try and do is to take the insights that come from content in those locations and find and then showcase more of the emerging destinations. So, if we learn, for example, that there are particular particular blues in the way the greek content has shot that has worked and we then try and apply that to uh, other parts in greece other less well-known islands we feel pretty confident that that content will perform well and then ultimately the goal for us is actually not about the engagement it's to raise the profile of some of these destinations so hopefully if you get deeper into the beautiful destinations content or if any of your listeners don't follow us and do start following us now our hope is that we would be presenting to them destinations that maybe hadn't been on their on their radar that are mm. absolutely worthwhile going, and that has the twofold benefit of exciting and preventing over tourism as well. Exactly, exactly. So, um, so preventing over tourism and developing regional dispersion, which is critically important as we think about the growth of sustainable tourism. But then, second, actually giving meaningful value to the consumer, because increasingly, what we're learning, certainly about a millennial travel generation and, uh, and and Gen Z is that they don't want to do the same things that their parents did. They don't want to go to the same tourist destinations that have been on the map. Very much what drives their travel uh, choices is, is, is a unique destination, a place where they can get content and have an experience that is unique to themselves and then they can share in a way that, uh, that their own audiences and, and, and friends will appreciate. And so, mm. you know, we've all seen the same photos from the same places many, many times. And so if we can raise the profile of other destinations that are just as beautiful, would benefit from tourism and would you give would give a unique experience to a traveler, then that's that's a win for everybody. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. 
It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos visiting some places that have been on my bucket list and while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. So chapter three then is the place where you learned the most about yourself. Where would that be? I would say New York because I felt as though the next stage of my uh, entrepreneurial journey was to come and get into into the big leagues in the US. So much of the opportunity was in New York. And, and when I got here, I felt as though in many ways, it was New York was the dream that I'd always hoped it would be. And I think for many listeners, they'll relate to that idea of, of moving to New York and the appeal and the allure of, of this mm. big city that's such, such, mm. a, such a thriving uh, part of the US economy. Um, but also, I, I found in reverse that it was lonely and it was very tough. I felt that I learned so much about myself coming to this city and learning how to grow my business, but also how to build a new circle of friends, how to adapt to a very fast paced, you know, very aggressive and sort of forward leaning and forward thinking culture. And that was certainly very different to what I'd experienced in London. And ultimately, it's been an amazing experience. What you said is interesting also about moving to New York and that feeling of loneliness, because Mm -hmm. I think that's a part of travel, whether it's long term, i.e. moving somewhere or just a a short term, maybe solo travel trip that people don't talk about they share how happy and exciting their times are but actually that's a an important part of travel absolutely I I really feel as though the best lessons that I've learned in my life have come through travel and I I think and I I hope I'm I'm known for talking about the, the power of travel as a force for good and its ability to break down barriers and its ability to show individuals how connected they can be with other people, regardless of the color of their skin or where they come from or their faith. Of course, there have been positive experiences and negative experiences, but ultimately, I really feel as though if you have the chance to travel, you should get out and do it because it teaches you so much. Mm. So that leads me on to chapter four, places to get out to travel. What would you say is your all-time favourite destination. I know it's a really hard one for someone who's so well traveled. <laughs> it's so hard for everyone I know, but if you had to just pick one to share with the listeners today, what would you pick? I would say Japan. And I would say because personally for me, it was one of the biggest voyages of self-discovery because I went, I went to the country and for the first time ever, and this may be a, a British outlook, but for the first time ever, found a culture that was completely alien Mm. to me Mm. didn't speak the same language didn't eat the same food 
we're definitely not going to make the effort to try and speak English. And I think what I have found is I, I have friends from all over the world who are always so accommodating because they make the effort to learn English and speak English with me. But I definitely have not made the same, and I think many listeners will, will, will relate to this, have not made the same investments in learning French or Spanish or German or, or Asian languages or, or, or Arabic. And, and in many ways, I have found that in my travel experiences, uh, English has been that, that common language. But when I got to Japan, mm-hmm. certainly people spoke English, but uh, they, 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 really, they really didn't change. I needed to change and to grow to to understand and 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 be a part of their culture and i i absolutely loved it so i i i love the the tradition and the ceremony of the culture out there i obviously love the work ethic although there are certainly negative sides to that and 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 the places known for um you know some of the challenges of, of working too hard but certainly industry and uh the way that they've impacted culture on so many different levels i i find very inspiring and and i although i haven't explored it anywhere near the amount that I would like to. I, uh, I've, I've had amazing experiences, you know, transformational experiences for me when I've gone to Japan. Which parts of Japan in particular have you travelled to and stand out for you? So everyone, you know, everyone when they go to Japan say, oh, you know, I went to Tokyo, I did a few days there and then I, and then I bounced around. I actually went really deep into Tokyo and spent, and spent a lot of time there. I think I've been to Tokyo maybe, maybe four or five times over the years and had very, oh. very different, different experiences in the uh, in the city, and, and I find that when you immerse yourself in a city like like that, it's there's just so much to explore and there's so much to find. And actually, one of the things that I the found, biggest city in the world, yeah. Well, I've, I've, I mean, what I found so powerful about going to a place like that and and doing it in combination with with social media is that I was able to connect with people who I'd never met before. Uh, we connected through Instagram. They created content, and they were part of a particular community which was thriving on social channels, and that was their way of expressing their, you know, their creative outlet and how they saw the world and and, and what they cared about. And then having completely unique experiences with individuals that I never would have found had I not used social media. And often I will go into Instagram and I will look at the geo tags of places that I am interested in visiting and I'll see what the place looks like and I'll see who are the people mm. in those communities and, and what are they doing and, and that I found is such a brilliant way to travel that is a completely new way of traveling that has, has given me so much value. So that's really interesting so you use Instagram tagged destinations mm-hmm. to to get your own travel inspiration when you're in a particular location not only inspiration but also connection with with people so what i found is that by looking at the hashtags of places i'm going you know you can absolutely go down a rabbit hole if you're a foodie and traveling to a destination of finding food accounts that relate to that place that you're going to and not only Mm -hmm. can you see beautiful content and then discover new places or restaurants or bars you might want to visit you can then see people in those communities that are vibrant in those communities that's something i'll definitely think more about the next time that I travel. Um, COVID aside, what were you predicting as 2020's next big travel destination? That is a great question. That is a great question. We were certainly, certainly seeing, I think, two, two major trends. One was the American market discovering some of the slightly off the beaten path travel destinations within Greece, Italy, Portugal, Spain, France, because the the US market has been coming to Europe for a very, very long time. And a lot of the insight that we've learned from the industry is that the, the American traveler tended to go to the places that were, you know, the big the big ticket, big bucket items. So 
go to Paris, cross off the Eiffel Tower, <clears throat> go to Italy, cross off Milan and so on. What we were seeing, and I think it's largely through the emergence of, of social media and this philosophy that I explained of, you know, uncovering new places within places that you think you know or uncovering places that are just off the beaten path and showing how beautiful they are. We were certainly seeing a movement from the American traveler. I mean, our, our audience is our largest audience is, is American into some of the more undiscovered gems in, in these places. And so we were seeing people going to the Greek islands, but actually going away from the traditional Santorini's and Mykonos's, which they've discovered over, over many years and exploring, uh, you know, a, a little, a little bit further out into, uh, into, into other Greek islands, which I think is incredibly important. I think it's actually a really positive trend. I think on a, on a global yeah. ma- macro level, uh, definitely seeing growth, um, in Asia, you know, seeing some of these destinations that have so much potential and so many, uh, you know, raw materials for brilliant travel experiences like Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia and these places starting to emerge in, in two fronts. One is from a, a brand awareness standpoint, and so more people being aware of them as places they should go and visit. But the second is then actually dramatically increasing their product. So the, the hotel product that was available, you're seeing many more of these boutique operators actually really stepping up the quality of the, the hotel that they provide or the or the tour experience that they provide. So we were seeing we were seeing that as a trend and unfortunately so 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 challenging with Corona because everyone everyone was locked down and the, the momentum was taken out of everybody's mm. sales. But uh, those are some things that we were seeing before uh, you know before Corona hit. Mm. And going back to uncovering new places and gems, mm. chapter five is your hidden gem. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say is a place that you've uncovered that maybe other people might not know so well? I think back, this will go back to 2016, which was the very first time that I went to the Philippines. Uh, again, if anybody fo- follows me on social media, they know how much I love the Philippines and the amazing experiences that I've, I've had there. Uh, it's a little bit of a long haul for, for your British audience, but any, any, I mean, to be honest, it's a bit of a long haul for, for most audiences if you're not in Asia, but yeah. uh, <laughs> it is, it is a, it is a brilliant, brilliant country. The people are so warm and so welcoming. Really, I find that uh, as, as a nation that is so geared towards hospitality and, and, and being so accommodating, they really do, they really do provide a brilliant travel experience and going through the islands in in the philippines and palawan and almido and uh you know the, the kind of places and experiences you can have around around that in in nature i've really enjoyed and would say is one of my my hidden gems i would highly recommend it as a destination for people when when corona passes uh, largely because I think there's over there's over seven thousand islands that make up the Philippines, and it's vast. You know, more and, yeah, it's just huge. But also, more and more people are now uncovering places that they can go within that. So, if you want to go to uh, a busy, vibrant beach where you have party options, you have restaurant and dining options, you have a nightlife, it has that in Boracay. If you want something that is a little bit more chilled, a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more coming back to nature, it also has that in El Nido and, and Palawan and, and, and beyond. And so I think from a, a beach destination and that really kind of getting away from it all, I, uh, I, I highly recommend the Philippines. Great tip. And as you say, 7,000 islands. How much have you traveled within those? Have you found hidden gems within your hidden gem? Yeah, no, great question. So I uh, I have really done the main part of my traveling in the Philippines around uh, Palawan, around El Nido, around Cebu, 
Um, I haven't gone that. I mean, there's a number of places that I really want to go. So I've heard amazing things about Shargao, which is supposedly where the surf community is, uh, where you beautiful islands, beautiful beaches down there and, and obviously beautiful, uh, surf breaks, but I haven't, I haven't been there personally. I just sharing, sharing anecdotes that I've heard. So in contrast then, chapter six is your worst travel experience. <laughs> yes. So this really comes from uh, a lack of understanding and, and planning on my part and less so about the, the place that I was traveling to. So uh, I was traveling through East Africa and hadn't, hadn't got my yellow fever vaccine or rather I'd had it but didn't have the paperwork to show that I had had it. And the region was, uh, you know, discovering Ebola and I'm on heightened alert because of what was happening in Ebola. And so I landed and, and did not have my yellow fever. It's, it's a little booklet that shows that you've had it. So in this, in this airport, what ended up happening was I wasn't allowed into the country and I'd, I'd literally just flown for about 35 hours to get there. I had a meeting that I, that I needed to, that I needed to do. And the long story short was I could either get back on that 35, 35 hour journey back to new york or just get the injection there in the in the airport and i think in, in hindsight probably it wasn't it wasn't the smartest thing i ever did but i just got the injection and it was administered literally there in the airport behind the curtain and the syringes were, were thrown into a bucket and and that was it move on so i'd say i'd say the, the two learnings there were number one my own planning um <laughs> was a little bit lacking but then in, in reverse the uh the experience itself was not good from a tourism standpoint because all of the guests uh, that were landing actually saw this happening to me. So the, the, they saw me getting the injection. They, so their first experience of arriving into this airport was, uh, was somewhat, was somewhat harrowing. So I think the, the lesson, the big lesson there was just to make sure that I, I am aware. And I think travelers are aware of uh, local customs, which I think is going to be even more important as you yeah. start traveling post-corona. Yeah. And are you going to be getting on a plane ASAP? What's your feeling about kind of overseas travel? Yes. So I, I think... I feel quite conflicted about it that, still. I, yes, I was about to say I do feel conflicted. And I feel in many ways, I know the economic reasons. I know why it's critically important. I know we have to get our industry kickstarted again and, and, and moving. Uh, equally, I think I think that Nobody knows what is happening with Corona and the media in many ways is doing the best it can to report on, on what's happening. Uh, in, in many ways, it's fanning the flames and in, in many ways, it's just very confusing on, on, on all sides and different countries are reporting things in different ways. So personally, I am hoping to do a trip back home to the UK uh, towards the end of July. And if the quarantine is, is still in place and I do two weeks um, you know, at my place in London, no problem at all. I'll happily mm. do that. I think that's very sensible to make sure that we, we keep everything safe. If by then it's lifted and the government feels like it's it's safe to do that, then then of course that's that that's good too. But I'm hoping end of July get get back to the UK. But uh, you know, I think I think things are things are changing so regularly that uh, I haven't actually booked that flight yet, yeah. and I don't think I'll book it until until a little bit closer to the to the potential date. So I can't believe we're on to the final chapter of your travel diaries, Jeremy. Um, that is chapter seven, which is what is at the top of your travel bucket list. You know, I'm asked that so often, and it changes so often because what I've realised it's it's funny. It's like it's like learning. You realise as you get deeper into it how little you know. And I feel with mm -hmm. travel, even though I may be perceived as uh, you know very 
very well traveled and I know that I am I'm not anywhere near as traveled as I'd like to be and I think it really every every single week I'm discovering new places and experiences that I, I had no idea about uh, I have had amazing experiences in Asia amazing experiences in the Middle East obviously living in uh, New Zealand Australasia I've had amazing experiences there but the one the one part of the world I haven't spent enough time in yet I think is uh, is the Nordics um, Norway is an amazing country that I have never been to um, I spent a fair bit of time going in and out of Stockholm um, for, for business but but not really traveling around Sweden um, but yeah I'd say I'd say the Nordics uh, and, and in particular Norway maybe the Lofoten Islands uh, Fjordland yeah. so some of those places I um I've just never been and I've always wanted to go. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. That was such an amazing insight into all kinds of aspects of the travel industry and incredible travel diaries. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, that was Jeremy Jauncey, a real travel trailblazer. You can follow him on Instagram at Jeremy Jauncey and of course, follow Beautiful Destinations too. If you've enjoyed this episode today, then don't forget to subscribe and leaving a review or rating really helps others to discover the podcast. And to find out who's on next week's show, come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening in the meantime, and I will see you again next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.